Hello, and welcome to the Box in One podcast, a podcast discussing sports and culture through the lens of the gospel. My name is John Richards, and I'm your co-host today, and I'm joined by my co-hosts, Chris Lassiter and Jeremy Hartman. Welcome to episode 22 of the Boxing One podcast. This is the Michael Red episode, Deuce Deuce or Emmett Smith, if you're a Cowboys fan. I'm not sure how many we got on this podcast. One of y'all a Cowboys fan? No, sir. <laughs> what's up, C-Lass? What up, Jay Rich? Jay Hart, what's cracking, man? I, I know your Eagles lost, man, but I'm glad to see you join me. Yeah, I'm, I'm still here. I'm not like a delusional Redskins fan. Like I can admit when my team has holes. They got plenty. They got plenty. So this is episode 22, and we wanted to lead the episode off to let you guys know that we're going to do something special for this particular episode and do a giveaway for you. I'll give you more details at the end of the episode, so stick with us. But for now, we're going to hop right into our first topic, which I think is a really great one, and it's just merely a question. Okay, I have a question for you guys. The NBA preseason is here. We're about to start the season at the end of this month, October 25th, and I need to know from you all, we know this Warriors team is good, Golden State, but here's the question for you. Who is the most likely player on the Warriors to win the league MVP? Who you got, C-Lass? Now, see, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to back the whole thing up because I'm still not convinced that you can just build all-star teams and the team is going to be good. Um, I think they're going to be good, but I wouldn't be surprised at all if, like, the you bring on an all-stars, create an all-star team, doesn't work. If I had to say somebody was going to be an MVP, give me Durant or Clay. I think Steph purposely takes a step back, um, paces himself, tries to stay healthy like he did in his championship, and really says, I have my two MVPs. I'll never really push through the regular season to try to win and steps back and just becomes part of a great team. I could see Draymond really wanting to get one in his career and making that push effort-wise. But I think what you'll see a lot from Steph at the point guard is really trying to like ingratiate KD into that offense, making him feel at home, deferring a lot, letting his numbers fall purposely to welcome KD, give up some of those shots to say, like, I wasn't just talking when we recruited you. We really wanted you to be the main focus here. So I think you'll see KD have a huge year. I think Draymond's hungriest of all of them. And I think Clay's poised for a breakout year. But I think I know it won't be Steph. Um, if I had to, if you had, if I had to put something that meant something on it to me, I would say KD. So that's my answer. So podcast listeners, we just learned that C Lass is our version of the Honda hybrid um gas and economy fuel. Um, apparently he goes with the hybrid Durant slash green slash Clay Thompson, but ultimately says Durant. Okay. I'll give you that. But apparently you had to make sure that you qualified it and you're not really black and white. I'm hoping to get a little, little bit more black and white with Jay Hart. What you got? Well, man? I told you, I don't even know if they, I'm sure they're going to be great. Like, I don't know if they're going to be a better team than last year. You can't just build teams by adding all-stars. Tell that to Miami. Look, I don't know if you've watched them play yet, Chris, and I don't know if you've heard the things that are coming out of Durant's mouth as far as learning how to play. He's acting like it's a whole new game. Like, wait, you mean you actually passed the ball here? Like, 
it touches more than two people's hands. I think I would agree. I think if anybody on that team wins MVP, it'll be KD. Um, I think Steph will pick and choose just in watching them so far in the preseason. Clay ain't deferring to nobody. <laughs> He's still firing that thing up. He's like, yep, I'm shooting it. I don't care. Um, but I do think KD will have a huge year. I think it'll make it easier for him to put up numbers. I think you'll see Steph still average around 20, but I think his assist numbers will go up. But if I had to pick one to win MVP, I would pick Durant for sure. So I'm probably going to be the one in the room that picks the conventional pick or the the MVP from past seasons in Curry only because I feel like last year or after last year, he may have a bit of a chip on his shoulder, even with the addition of Durant. Like the other night when they when they beat the, the Clippers by like 60 <laughs> and gave it to them at home in L.A., um, you could just see the way that team was meshing. But I really think that, that Curry can still thrive here, especially with the ball in his hands. You got like five, four people open on the perimeter who's going to make those buckets. So I think his assist numbers will go up. So I'm going to pick Curry. I'm going I'm going back to Old Faithful. I know you guys got Durant, but I'm going to go with Curry, man. I think Durant's going to fit in nicely, but I'm going Curry. And I'm going to piggyback off of that, John, and I'm going to say this. I think Durant could win regular season MVP, but I think if Golden State makes the finals and they play Cleveland again, I think Steph is going to try to win finals MVP. I think he's going to try to erase any lingering doubt from last year and say, nope, don't get it twisted. I wasn't healthy. I'm going to show you all what, what's really real. So I would think Durant regular season, but Steph will get the finals MVP if they, if they get there. What do y'all think are the chances that the MVP actually comes off Golden State period? No, Well, first of all, no love for Draymond. You guys don't like Draymond. That's interesting. Whoa, 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 whoa. I didn't say I didn't like Draymond. <laughs> I love Draymond Green. <laughs> He's just not MVP caliber. I, you know you what remind I me think, of my man, Doc. You know what I think it will be, though? I think there's. it's kind of like those college football teams where you got a, a real good backfield and they split Heisman votes. Like, I almost think, like, they could jeopardize who gets MVP just because they're so good. That's a good point. And I think I know Chris, I know his leading MVP candidate is still in Oklahoma City. So I think his question's probably a segue into the fact that he thinks Russell is going to put up 50 a game this year. So shout out to Chris for his uh, his low-key MVP plug for Russell Westbrook. I appreciate that, man. <laughs> I don't even know if they're going to make the playoffs, bro. <laughs> Wait, can you can you win MVP and not make the playoffs? No, if, absolutely if he, not. If he averages a triple-double? It's possible. They'll say he was just doing the Ricky Davis. Wow. Another... Another Ricky Davis reference. Two in 22 episodes. <laughs> <laughs> Think about it. If you have a triple-double and don't make the playoffs, you just padding stats. You're not helping a team. You're not, you're not doing valuable things. We know you're great. Or your team is just terrible. Or your team is just terrible like the Thunder. It's going to be the MVP. They're not going to be bad. If they were in the East, they'd be you know a three or four seed. In the West, they might struggle to make the playoffs. They might not make it. You they might you be can. in Lakerland. You can't win the MVP and not be in the playoffs, bro. No, that's that's probably not going to happen. 
Okay, so there you have it. That's our picks. They they went with Kevin Durant. Okay, everybody, make sure you keep this in mind as the season goes along. I'm going with Steph, the homie, the cousin, Steph Curry. Um, and shout out to Steph Curry, man. Chris's new favorite player. Yeah, he got VA blood. So <laughs> Okay, we gotta talk about Intervarsity Press. Last week, an article came out in Time online on their online piece that talked about InterVarsity's new policy or even their position paper on um, human sexuality that led them to suggest to staffers who are willing to come forward and say that they support LGBTI communities that they should be quote-unquote involuntarily terminated which means if you so choose to voluntarily say that you support LGBT relationships, then you'd have two weeks to clean up your desk and, and roll out. So obviously the internet exploded and there were people on both sides. Um, one side saying, okay, these, this is just a, an, an evangelical organization clarifying their position on human sexuality, seeing where culture is going. The other side, uh, Jesus ate with prostitutes. I'm pretty sure Jesus will be hanging around LGBT folks. Why are you requiring employees who's been in your employ for such a long period of time? These aren't new employees. These are existing employees to make this choice. So the question becomes for us as a group, is this a matter of conviction or should IVP be convicted? What do y'all think? I honestly, I think what it sounds like on the surface and without knowing anybody involved in the organization, it sounds like there are some internal discussions where it's just like, if we really are Bible believing folks and evangelizing, we need to take a firm stand on this. And thus they released the statement. Um, now, requiring people to to voluntarily come forward if they support that, you know, putting them out of a job, that that might be something totally different, you know. And I can see both sides of that coin. I can see some folks saying, "Well, I do support that, and I'm going to take a stand because I think this is wrong." And then I can see some folks saying, "Well, I support, you know, LGBT. However, I still need this paycheck, so I'm just going to keep my mouth shut." But I, I think at some point. I think folks just come to the conclusion like, hey, we need to decide where we stand on what side of this line do we stand. Um, and I think it can be done without being offensive and without coming off as um, hypocritical or, you know, judgmental. Um, I think it's just a matter of saying, hey, this is what we believe. This is where we stand. Not quite sure how I feel about asking folks to come forward like that, but I understand where they're coming from with, you know, saying, Hey, this is where, this is where we're at with this. John, just as far as just a clarifying question, was this saying like within the church or non-believers, I'm just trying to get a feel for exactly what, like where they draw, where they're drawing the line. I'm just saying like, are they saying like, this is how we should govern like non-believing relationships or relationships of people who are professing Christ. Like, I'm just curious as to, you know, like every time we see in church history, 
like a doctrinal position, it comes as a response to a question. You know, somebody's wrestling through some issue, Jesus isn't God, all of a sudden, like the church writes a paper and then they will say, this is our official stance on it. So all of our doctrine comes in typically in response to a question. I'm just trying to say, like, what was, I'm trying to, I don't know how much we know about the original question. Like, hey, is it these two non-believers that are married and what is our relationship gonna be to them? Or these two people are getting married in the church and saying God is ordaining this. I'm just curious, not that it would make a huge difference on how we interpret what God did in Genesis, but I'm just trying to figure out what was the original question they were trying to answer. So um, originally, and, and this is what I've been reading, um, the position paper was to address employees or those who um, work for Intervarsity Press, IVP, not in, not engage in immoral sexual behavior or promote positions that conflict with this new pos- this position that they hold in this position paper. So um, I think it has to do with that promotion part. It's not necessarily not having colleagues or anybody who is LGBT. I think it's part of the promote promotion or promoting that position as an employee. And interestingly enough, there were employees in the San Francisco office, which community has a whole lot of LGBT folks um, who, you know, immediately resigned or are in the process of resigning. So there's been some fallout in that particular office. So hopefully that clarifies um, the position. Yeah, got it. So um, with that, before I give my answer, I would say, like, we look to scripture to govern these things, right? So the very first thing we look to, I would say, is how we treat all people. And that's um, in because they are made in the Imago day, we treat each person, no matter what their views are on anything, as if they're image bearers of God. And we treat them as if they have value. So that's the um, that's how you just deal with people, period. Like that should govern how we deal with people in every relationship. There should be something about our theology that drives us to deal with everyone in a warm, compassionate way. We're not always gonna get that perfect because uh, we're not perfect. We follow one who's perfect. That's why we need a savior. For me personally, right after that, I'm gonna follow that up with, at the end of the day, like um, <clears throat> like it's, it's a Bible organization and they're taking a stand from what they see scripturally and what God created in Genesis. And so that kind of makes sense to me that, uh, <laughs> A, a Christian organization would take that stance and say, hey, like, this is what we live to promote. And it's not because we hate other people. We think that God designs things in a way that people will flourish. And we're promoting it because we know God is a good God who gives good gifts and only draws lines where it hurts people. And because we want to see people flourish, we want to see people following God because that's where we believe they'll most flourish. And so I don't have any problem with that. This is is really interesting. Um, I don't know if you guys remember a couple of years ago, though, where World Vision had announced initially, they announced plans to hire Christians in same-sex marriages. And then they got some pushback from a lot of donors and reversed their position. So then they got 
pushback from the community who supported that position saying we're not going to donate anymore, but they kind of stood their ground there, so to speak. Um, so this is kind of the reverse. InterVarsity uh, took the time to write a position paper and tried to um, approach human sexuality from a biblical perspective and what type of impact it could have had on their organization. And I think this position paper was written a little while ago, but time just so happened to pick up on it and to publish the article um, last week. So apparently evangelicals didn't or Christians didn't think too much of it back then until a major news outlet picked up on it. So my perspective is, again, and I agree with you, C-Last, the church has kind of dealt with this over the years. It's not that they're changing their position. It's that with the changing culture, sometimes there needs to be some clarification. I mean, it ha has happened over the um, the councils of the church in the early church at Nicaea and other councils wrestling with certain questions, um, theological questions. And this is a theological question. Um, just because the culture accepts something that means it's not, there's no theological approach to it. So uh, they're going to, I mean, even last year with the whole Black Lives Matter thing at um, at their conference, they had a lot of fallout there too. So IVP has been um, pretty, <laughs> pretty up there in the news these days. And I'm just going to continue to pray for them. Um, I, I appreciate the detail in which they tried to go about it, but they're going to get pushed back culturally. And I'm pretty sure that they're, some of their employees are not, not going to be around. But again, once you make these clarifying statements, once you start to clarify your position, you're going to lose some support, you're going to lose some funding. Um, and that, that's just how it is. But um, as, a, as evangelicals, as an evangelical organization, I'm happy that they were able to attempt to clarify their position there. So if we would just be an honest, I think just a little bit of the awkwardness you feel in addressing this situation is because, and that's why I try to say these things in an order, like, hey, people are image bearers. Um, I feel like for the first time in my lifetime, in what happened with Orlando, I watched the church get it right and say, hey, we don't agree with some of their lifestyle choices, but these are image bearers, and this is incredibly sad. It's a time to mourn. So often, specifically with this community, I feel like the churches have taken a stance, but it has not been a compassionate stance in orthodoxy. It's been a very hateful stance and not one that is winsome or makes much of the gospel. I mean, it's kind of worked counterculturally against evangelism, uh, just some of the nastiness and the hate. And so what we are advocating is saying like, hey, God wants you to flourish and here's where he's drawn boundaries and says, here's where you'll flourish. But I, I wanna be clear that like, we're not advocating like hate for people that we disagree with on lifestyle choices. Jay Rich, just as a quick follow-up, um, because I think you get this a lot and like in my life I'm choosing, like I'm always, I hope, always gonna have friends who aren't believers and we can have open dialogues. But when someone says like, hey, like why do you care what we do with our bodies? Like why do you care if we abort? Why do you care who we marry? Like you guys are Christians, go be Christians over there. 
what's your response to friends uh, who may not be Christians? Jay Hart, you can weigh in on that too, on why Christians make a big deal of um, what other people do with their bodies who may not be Christians. Basically, like for me, I <clears throat> whenever I have conversations like that, um, it's more of like, hey, like I care for you as a person. I care for you as an individual. I love you like, um, and it's more out of a love for a person. Um, and, you know, there I have friends, friends from college that, you know, live alternative lifestyles and they know where I stand on certain things. And sometimes we just have to agree to disagree. Um, but at the end of the day, I make it all about love. Like, hey, like we can agree to disagree, but like no matter what, like I still love you. I still got your back. Like if you ever need anything, um, you know, call me or hit me up. And I think sometimes the way we love people through um, kind of dulls that that two edged sword a little bit like it still stings. But it's like, hey, like I may not like what he has to say or, you know, like. He's trying to push his beliefs on me, but like, he's still cool. Like he still loves me through this um, no matter what. And I think sometimes like it takes loving somebody through it and say, Hey, like we disagree on this, but no matter what, like we're still tight. Like I still, still love you. Like we're still boys. We can still be friends. And, and I think that's what the world struggles with because it seems like the agenda is pushed. Like if as Christians, we don't agree with certain things, we automatically become this biased group of hate, hatred and, you know, people full of hatred. And, and that's not necessarily true. Like there are some groups, yes, where I think they do push hate agendas and try to say it's in the name of Christ, but you know, true Christ followers, like, no, like we're not doing this out of a sense of hate. Like, we love people. And I think it's important for folks to know that and not necessarily say, oh, he's he's casting judgment on me. And, um, you know, the, the first response is like, if you address something like that with a person, well, they're like, well, what are you doing in your life? You got sin too. Like you got, um, and it's not, it doesn't have to be like that. Um, and I think you can come to the table with folks and have open-ended discussions and still leave on good terms and just be like, Hey, sometimes we might agree to disagree and just be able to live with that. And oftentimes too many people just want to get defensive and like, well, I'm not talking to you. You don't agree with it. Go like Chris said, go be a Christian over there and leave me out of it. So I just try to love people through it, man. And be like, Hey, no matter what, like I still got you. Here's the beauty of the inclusivity of our creator. When it comes to this topic, because I, I believe he 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 cares about what every one of us does with our bodies and with our lives. And, and that's the crux of the Christian message. It isn't something that that looks down upon a certain group like the, the crux of the message is all have sinned and fall short of God's glory. So so the sin in our lives could be anything on a spectrum of telling lies to um, any single relationship that is promiscuous. It doesn't have to be a same-sex relationship. So um, I would say that that God cares about what all of us do with our bodies, with our lives, um, because he is the creator who created us in his image. And because we were created for his glory and for his renown, that we are image bearers who are to give back to him 
what he has blessed us with, which means we have to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. And that looks different for different people. Um, that means I have to love my wife like Christ loved the church. And that means that I'm going to have to die to some things. And that means that God cares about what I do with my body, what I do with my mouth, what I do you know, with how I treat my wife. So it isn't an exclusive thing to where I'm talking to a person about what God expect from them. I'm talking to a person about what God expects from us because of what he has done for us by redeeming us through, through Jesus's finished work on the cross. So, so that would, that would be how I would approach it. Um, at least initially, because I don't want people to think that this is something I'm throwing at them, but something that I'm experiencing with them by God's grace. Yeah. I would just add to, um, if anyone is, in the midst of having these conversations, sometimes like for me personally, and I know other people might take a different approach, but I, I find the Bible ethic, like on a particular issue, a strange place to start. Um, so in the context, if I have time relationships, so these conversations don't feel rushed or panicked, or we're only gonna have them once. But what I'd rather, much rather do is lay out the entire picture of the gospel as the background to where we get a gospel ethic from rather than just trying to pick and choose and point people to one particular point of an ethic apart from anything else. And um, then showing them like in the Old Testament, you see this picture of God and he rescues Israel, but then he gives them the law. Um, and it's very much the same with the Christian faith, like God rescues us. And then he asks us to come form into his image more in the sanctification process. And he gives us rules as boundaries, but they're for our good. And so I really want to impress that, that this is not a part like the rescue happens first, you know? So that's kind of my, that's where I come at it from. So last week, Hurricane Matthew ripped through Haiti and um, at, at present date, I think it's over 400 people who have lost their lives in Haiti. And um, it's, it's so good to see a lot of athletes who are Haitian, including Pierre Garcon and Elvis Dumerville in the NFL, go back to Haiti, give back to Haiti um, to help them to recover from, from that natural disaster. We experienced some of it stateside, not as bad, but it did go up along the East Coast. And one of the things that I noticed while it was happening, my hometown was in the path of the hurricane, and there tended to be two Christian camps, if you will, in my hometown regarding this hurricane. And one camp was the camp, that I call them the faith camp, I suppose, who uh, had enough faith to stay in my hometown and pray that Matthew would not directly hit my hometown. The other camp was was the camp that was discerning enough, quote unquote, to leave the city and move further inland um, to protect their families, their loved ones. And what I just I just felt inclined to write a post and just encourage everyone to 
stop becoming theologians in this time and blaming others or saying to others they didn't have enough faith or they were just crazy to stay um, and turn towards praying for the people who did stay, for the people who were traveling, praying for safe travels or praying for safety while they remained. I, I don't. I have a problem with what I call crisis theologians. I would much rather prefer folks be praying than folks start throwing scripture verses out there to demonstrate that their position is correct. So I wanted to get you guys' perspective on events like this when you see people kind of talking about it from a faith perspective, um, what what becomes unhealthy and how can we keep those conversations healthy in times like those? What do you guys think? The, the first thought, uh, whenever you think of crisis, you think of the book of Job. And I just remember reading in one commentary and it said like, Job's friends gave him a ton of answers, but no comfort. God comes on the screen, on the scene, gives Job a ton of comfort, but no answers. And I think there's something to be said for that. Um, we want to be sovereign in that situation and always know um, the purpose that God had in it. He doesn't always tell us the purpose that he has in it. And then so in those times, we have to realize, like, we don't always get to know everything. Sometimes we see through a glass darkly, like dimly, you know? Um, and in that point, we learn to trust, what is it Spurgeon used to say? We trust his heart even when we can't see his hand. I think that's beautiful advice for those times where you're in crisis. And I think it goes right along with the post that you had. Um, that's not to always try to figure out, like, we don't need to be sovereign. We are the created, not the creator. And then you just, you do, uh, we pray, we pray for Haiti, um, our kids did something really neat. Um, we just try to do something very small. Every time that um, there's a, a devastation in the world, we'll have the younger kids draw pictures and we'll just snap them, put them on Facebook and say, buy these pictures. I don't care if it's $1, $2, 50 cents, whatever you pay for these pictures, our kids will send it towards relief efforts. And we're just gonna be about being a church, just showing my kids, um, you can make a difference. You're not too young to play a small part in the healing process for that country. My old editor at the newspaper left and became a missionary in Haiti. He wrote a lot of beautiful stuff and kind of directed us towards which missions groups to send money to that really help and who to stay away from. So I'm just heartbroken over <clears throat> watching it get destroyed twice. What has it been in the last eight years? We've watched them go through this devastation. So um, I don't have all the theological answers for somebody from them, but we can be praying. And, doing our part to help. Yeah. I mean, I agree with you guys. Like, I think prayer is a powerful tool. Um, it, it is funny and interesting that, you know, some folks choose to take it to a level of like, well, if you don't stay, you know, where's your faith? Um, and anytime somebody says that, I always think back to a couple of years ago was there, there was this running, um, joke, I think it was on Facebook where, um, they were just kind of talking about there was a flood and a guy was sitting on the roof of his house and a guy on a boat comes by and was like, Hey, you know, I can get you out of here. Do you want to go? And he's like, no, I'm waiting on my Lord to save me. And then, you know, a guy, another guy comes by on a boat and a guy with the helicopter and he says, no, I'm waiting on the Lord to save me. And then a the guy eventually drowns. And it's kind of like, dude, like you had multiple ways out. Like 
there's there's a reason there. Um, <clears throat> you know, having faith is, is great, and but I also think people um, have to take steps to protect themselves and and in those type of um, situations. But as far as Haiti, it, it's just it's sad and it hurts my heart to see people um, go through that to see the pictures, um, the death toll of what has just, you know, devastated uh, an island. And um, all I can do is, is pray. Um, we try to encourage our kids to, you know, keep up on on <clears throat> what's going on in the world and, and seeing these things. And we have conversations mainly around the dinner table about this type of stuff and, um, you know, just not taking for granted what we have and that there are people in this world that uh, don't have what we have and like just using Haiti as an example, like those people lost what little bit they did have and it's traumatic. You know, there's death, there's, there's so many different things that go on and without going and being there, the greatest thing that we can do is just pray and pray for those folks and support where we can. Um, I commend, you know, like Pierre Garcon and Elmer Dumerville for, Elvis Dumerville for, you know, taking those steps to support them. Um, <clears throat> some people have taken it a step further. I've seen Facebook posts where people are like, are y'all going to pray for Haiti like you did for France? And sometimes I think people feel like Haiti gets neglected a bit and it may, but you know, there's still people. It's like, we talk all the time. Um, they're created in the image of God and if we can't do anything else, we can get on our knees and pray for those folks and pray that God puts people in place to help and give and provide support if we can't do it ourselves. So continued prayers to Haiti, man, and everybody who was impacted by Hurricane Matthew, uh, praying for restoration and just a pouring out of love and support from those who who uh, who feel so inclined. So. Our next segment is called Sorry We Missed That. And this is a segment where we look back at funny videos, internet stories, and things that we may have missed prior to the podcast happening or between podcasts. And this particular one is in our Uncle Drew series for Pepsi, which is a great series. And this go-around, Uncle Drew recruits the one and only and this may be a spoiler, but hey, you probably know who it is by the way she plays basketball. He recruits Maya Moore to come out on the playground with him and dominate. But this led us to really think about one thing, and I think Chris may have texted us the other day, and I had to make sure I I uh, repented and confessed to him. He, he asked me about the WNBA playoffs, and I said, playoffs? Playoffs, my apologies to my sisters in the WNBA. I love you all dearly, but I think they're in game two right now. So um, I'm going to ask Coach Hartman, Jay Hart, who coached women's basketball and was the John Wooden of women's high school basketball, at least in my mind. Who you got in these finals, man? Or are you even watching? Coach? I, you know, I typically don't watch or I'll flip through. Um I will support the Sparks, one, because it's L.A. And anything associated with L.A. and the Lakers, I'm there. Um, but I got to support a VA product, Christy Tolliver. And she grew up right up the road here 
played here locally, went to Maryland, won a national championship. Um, got to support her. So if I got to pick a team and, and root for them, I'm rooting for the Sparks. It's L.A. Christy Tolliver's there. Love Maya Moore. Love what what goes on in uh, Minnesota, but got to go for the Sparks right now. See, Lance, are you going to agree with me that the Lynx is Jesus's team since Maya Moore's on it? Yo, I love Maya Moore. Little known fact, we actually had it set up when Hartman and I first tried a podcast to have her be our first guest. Had her agent all set up and everything. She was overseas playing. And we love Christy Tolliver. She was a bad woman when she was in high school, bro. I think she had 50 in a game. She didn't have much help on our high school team so i'm kind of conflicted too jay rich i don't know man I, I love maya Moore. she's my favorite WNBA player outside of christy because she's local so i'm conflicted man i don't know we need to get maya moore's agent back on that phone so we can have her on how about that i could do that yes yeah, sir we just need to talk to her about yukon because that's the only thing that really matters <laughs> oh, apparently go. little gino little gino over there <laughs> Hey, no joke. Chris and Chris will tell you this. The old sports editor at the newspaper he worked for. That's what he called me whenever he covered our games. He would sit behind the bench and be like, come on, little Gino, make that adjustment. Come on, nice. run little Gino. <laughs> See, I knew it. Nice. That's what I'm talking about. We're going to dive into what we're reading and what we're listening to, where in this segment, we just offer our readers some resources of what we're reading, and what we're listening to. And I'll kick us off here and tell you what I'm listening to right now. And it's beautiful. I'm, I, it's actually not a resource that you guys could could actually use um, because I put a ring on it. But my wife and I are commuting to work these days together and we are just having conversations. And it's good to be able to listen to my wife. So shout out to that being who I'm listening to. Uh, what I'm reading, I just got finished reading uh, Hillbilly Elegy, finished that book. Really good read. Definitely a great understanding of lower class um, middle America uh, in Kentucky and West Virginia, all up and down the Appalachian Mountains, Jay Hart's old stomping grounds. And uh, I think it's a read that a lot of people should read because it helps you understand voting patterns in that particular region and demographic. So that's what I've, I've been reading as well. Right now, I'm reading um, City of Allegory by Brady Goodwin Jr., also known as Christian rapper, uh, fanatic from the cross movement. That's what we're doing as family devotional. Um, finishing up this book on Notorious B.I.G. and also reading a book by Nelson George called Hip Hop America for a paper that I need to have written by tomorrow. And then listening to a lot of Timothy Brindle, just because his music points me to the gospel. So um, three songs in particular, if anybody was listening and trying to figure out where to start with his. Um, Love Music, Liberation, and The Daily Gospel, three great songs. Also two Lauren Daigle songs. I really like her music. One of them is called um, How Can It Be? And the other one is called Here's My Heart. All five of those songs really will point you towards the gospel. That's kind of what I'm listening to right now. As for me, what I'm reading now, um, going back and rereading um, a autobiography 
I guess it's just a biography because it wasn't written by him, but a uh, biography about Pistol Pete Maravich. Um, and it's really done in such a way where it highlights um, his journey to Christianity. Um, I've, my son is, has read it. I encouraged him to read it. Um, so I had to go back and reread, reread it um, so we could have discussions about it. So if there are any questions he had, we could talk about it. Um, you know, love Pistol Pete, loved his game, um, loved the fact that even in his book, he mentions going to, I believe it was a promise keepers thing and pretending to bow his head and pray. Meanwhile, in his head, looking around saying, look at these Jesus freaks. But yet God still using him and through everything, bringing him, uh, bringing Pete to him. So that's kind of cool. As far as what I'm listening to, I've been listening to some Derek Minor. I've been listening to some old school show Baraka because we got two albums that's about to drop. And I am ready. I need some new music. Hype. So it's about time for a show, especially show. I'm hyped for show because I loved his albums. Um, I love his creativity. So can't wait for that to drop. Okay. Closing shout outs. Quick shout out to our man, Patrick Height, for covering us last week in the story uh, in the local newspaper there. Appreciate you, man. Thank you so much for covering us in the paper. I want to give a quick shout out to my homie C. Last. We met up the other day for um, a healthy, organic choice for breakfast and to go on a prayer walk um, where we pray for a lot of things and even pray for you, homie, Jay Rich. Appreciate it. My, my shout out is going to uh, the two best 22s ever to do it on the boys' side of the basketball at my high school, Kevin Madden and Tyler Crawford. So episode 22 goes to my two favorite 22s at Lehigh. Two of my favorite 22s. My teammate, Frankie, was good, too. C-Lance is so spiritual. Goodness. Using all, <laughs> the, all the numerology. <clears throat> all right. So uh, thank you guys for joining us this episode. And guess what? Because you made it all the way to the end of the episode, I want to make sure that we talk about this giveaway because we're excited about it. We have two books that we want to give away. Right, C-Lass? Yep. So the first is uh, a copy of my book, The Tenacity of Hope, uh, which is a devotional, 30-day devotional that we want to give away to a special listener. And then the other one is what, C-Lass? Uh, You're Grounded, a book I wrote for Moody Press in 2013. Big time. See last published by Moody Press. Uh, You're grounded. Great text. Um, And we're giving both of those away for free for the person or we will pick a person if there's more than more than one. And we pray that there there would be who goes to iTunes and leaves a rating and a review, not just a rating. Okay, we can all rate something, but we need a review, a substantive review of the podcast so we can see how we're doing. So hop on over to iTunes, leave that rating and review. We'll pick someone to win that and we'll announce the winner next week. Very excited about doing this giveaway because it's stuff that we have written and um, we definitely would love to get it in your hands. So hop on over to iTunes, give us a rating, give us the review. Uh, make sure you also follow us on Twitter at Boxing One Podcast. 
If you enjoyed episode 22, share it with your friends, your loved ones, anyone else who needs to hear this message about Christ Sports and Culture. Again, this is C. Lass, the homie, Jay Hart, Coach, and Jay Rich signing off. Peace out.